Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1007 with Prakash Karam Chandani. We just did it. This is the thing. Like, we had nothing to lose. What were we going to lose? We were just in debt. We had credit card debt. We had student loan debt. We couldn't get a job. Completely not really thinking things through 100%, but just kind of believing in what you're doing, running it out, having a good time. I still have a great time. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Restaurants Unstoppable Network is coming back and we are stronger than ever before. So, During the pandemic, I started the network as a way to evolve and adapt. And when things opened back up, I was on the road again. That is my happy place. But there is value in the network. But I knew I couldn't be on the road and do the network at the same time. So I recruited Callan Miola to be our community manager. And she is killing it. She is organizing things like I could never have done on my own. And we are getting after it. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, the podcast is the leading edge. We're out there. We're turning over rocks. We're finding leads. The network is where we pull back the layers. We dive deep, but we connect our listeners to the tools, services, and organizations that are being referred to us organically. If you want to be in the network, act now because the first 50 people to sign up will get a free t-shirt head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is find the link or the banner in the show notes and you will get a 30-day trial to get into the network get a free shirt and if you opt into the one year plan we will throw in a hat and a mug thank you in advance this episode is brought to you by restaurant systems pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-founder of Balanced Grill, Prakash Karam Chandani. Nailed it. Thank you. I was, I was worried. I'm not going to lie. Prakash, are you feeling unstoppable today? I do feel unstoppable. You will be PK for the rest of today's episode. Just, Perfect. Yeah. I see why you do that now. <laughs> uh, I cannot wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. And it is really cool what you're doing. Uh, the whole vibe of what you guys are doing with the glass and your own garden in the background and the values and the technology that you're leveraging to be where you are today, man. Like there's so much to talk about. I can't wait to get into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah, mine's going to be a mantra and uh, I only focus on uh, mistakes when they're repeated. So mistakes, problems uh, kind of get equated, but I feel like mistakes are really opportunities. And uh, as long as you fix them, you fix them once, you fix it right. Keep going. It's great. Yeah. Mistakes Building. are just a way to get better. 
Absolutely. Just, just highlighting something that you could be doing better. It's, 100%. I love it, man. Great way to get this thing started. And I'm really excited about today's conversation because um, you, we're going to be able to spend most of today's time talking about Balance Grill. Usually when I'm talking to restaurateurs, some of them have been in the industry for 30 plus years and they have all this crazy background. And I like to come, you know, share the come up within the industry before opening their own place. Yeah. You opened your own place almost straight out of college. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Zero restaurant experience. No restaurant experience. Your business partner, we should say. Has a ton of restaurant experience. Yeah. He grew up in the back of his parents' restaurant. And uh, we both met at college, kind of typical millennial stuff. Graduated in 2008 with business degrees and couldn't couldn't really get a job. We looked for like eight months, a year. Yeah. Um, I graduated around the same time. I was a commercial pilot. Yeah. And it was really tough for us at that. But really difficult. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Especially when you graduate college with a finance degree. I mean, I couldn't get a job at a car dealership doing finance. So let alone really where I wanted to be. Um, so spent uh, a better part of a year uh, looking for other opportunities. And then one day, CJ, uh, still my, one of my best friends, uh, he just said, I think I'm going to open a restaurant. And uh, do you want to help me with it? So how long have you guys been friends? Take us back to the beginning. Yeah, we met in college, actually. So I met my now wife um, when I switched schools, uh, so going into my junior year. And uh, I met her almost right away. She was in one of my first classes and started dating right away. And then she introduced me to her friend who she worked with at the time, uh, Ho-Chan, and we hit it off right away. So it was really like the last two years of college. Got it, got it. Um, What was it about him, first impressions, that appealed to you? I mean, ambition. Yeah, for sure. Definitely ambition, similar background, uh, experience, just being, uh, like second gen, um, just kind of knowing what it's like. Yeah. I I watched his or the, the balance grill video about his backstory. Yeah. Uh, and I, it sounds like he was kind of almost like lost early on around this time that you met him. You didn't really know what he wanted to do. Oh, for sure. I yeah. joke with him sometimes. He still does. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I can relate to that, though. Yeah. Uh, so, um, like, when, did, like, when the when the conversation came, it started coming up. Like, you know, was it just talk? Was it like, let's start? Like, from when the conversation first happened to when I don't know when things actually started to get put into motion. How much time elapsed? Um, we spent maybe like ten months. Uh, developing the concept, coming up with ideas and working on a business plan. So he had a business plan and really what he wanted me to do was help him with this business plan, specifically marketing, branding, and the financial component of it. What was your background uh, up to this point? I, I was doing IT work at the time, but I've almost always kind of had my own business or kind of worked for myself ever since I was like 14. So I noticed that. I saw that you had a, your own uh, seventh, seventh green. Yeah. What was that all about? So seventh green was the final iteration of uh, one half of my business uh, where I was doing software development oversight and helping companies draft RFPs uh, with some technical knowledge in RFPs? them. Request for a proposal. So okay. when people would offshore development of uh, software, um, certain languages and code bases that I'm. So you're not you're you're not a traditional segue into the industry type of person. <laughs> not at all. But that's yeah. one of the things I love about the show is that I'm 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 learning and realizing that you don't have to spend ten years working for other people to learn the industry to to be to open your own place and be successful. Sometimes I think it's almost better to have no restaurant experience because you see things through a different lens, through a different perspective. And Definitely. I think having your background in technology 
you probably were like, wait, why are we doing it? Why do they do it like that? There's a whole better way to do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we learned by making mistakes, referencing what I was talking about yeah. at the beginning, right? I mean, we we started with a completely clear book, no real modeling uh, off of another concept or any other idea. We didn't try to iterate on a on another successful concept out there. These are really like our thoughts, our values, the way we solve problems, our experiences is summed up to kind of create this kind of uh i mean it's it's simple but complex and detailed at the same time the way that we operate but i would say that's really just from the outside looking at it, i feel like that's a very accurate description <laughs> it's very clean when you walk in it's simple you walk in it's clear that you order here it literally says it on the terminals it's the first thing to your right people yeah. tend to when they walk into a room their eyes tend to tend to glance to the right you know, so there's like yep. little subtleties going on right now, and then it's clean. All you see is, is, is stainless steel, and if you're watching the video, which I recommend you do, you can see it on screen behind us right now. Uh, you got this glass, um, just glass straight down to stainless steel, and then just people working behind it, and you're like face to face with them. Yeah, you know, which is kind of cool. So take us through more of that. Yeah, you know the better. design, you know what's happening the design philosophy, yeah. the customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. So what we want to create is really a space where you get energized by food. And that energy should help be additive to your happiness. Um, that is our core goal. So we want to create food and serve it to you in an experience where ultimately we create happiness. We want to be a, a place of light throughout the day more than it's kind of uh you know we're we're pretty open on menu philosophy in that way so as far as the design and the space we always want to prioritize the the prep the freshness of it and that's why right where you order you see the prep stations um right where you order you see where it's grown dude yes at this location (laughs) it would be cool to do that at all of them but you know real estate's expensive but um yeah this this spot is really unique because we're able to come in and do what we wanted with the entire first floor of this building. It was one of the only buildings that wasn't completely renovated at the time. Now around us, several years later, almost all of our buildings here uh, have come up quite a bit. So I'm pretty proud of downtown yeah. Toledo. But So before we start really breaking down the story of how you got to where you are now, why don't we start with the end in mind and just tell us where you are now? What is the like? What does uh, what is everything that's encompassed in what you guys got going on here at Bounce Grill? Eight locations. Uh, growing, opening our sixth, six locations. Yeah, so I don't know where I got eight from. Yeah, yeah six yeah. locations. Uh, what you, you what's across? We've the got home? the we've got the aquaponic farm, which is a project that we started pre-COVID, uh, twenty eighteen, and the idea there was to grow our own ingredients sustainably, um, and do it with the same philosophy that we have for our our customer experience in the stores, where it's very transparent, and so you can kind of walk right by it and get a good sense of where your food comes from. So the six locations, you have the growing farm. Yep. Uh, is it? Is there just one farm right now? Just one farm. Just yep. one farm. What, what about other branches of your business? Catering? Any other services? Yeah. Any other channels of revenue? Yeah, we do catering. Uh, the majority of our orders come in through our app. So that's one thing that you'll experience specifically the way that your cameras are set up. So yeah. you'll see about like 80% of our orders are going to come in through the app and people are just going to come in behind you and grab their food and go. Um, so we've tried to create an ordering experience that is it meets customers where they are. So the kiosk, you know, takes away a lot of the pressures, self-explanatory. There's no 
like sales pressure, somebody trying to like upsell you or anything like that. You can't, can't really have awkward conversations. Obviously if people want to have a conversational ordering experience, we've got a terminal right behind me. And so uh, we can always have that. But what we found specifically since COVID, but even before COVID is people are just uh, gearing more towards wanting to interact in their own way. So Mm -hmm. we do that through the kiosk, primarily through the app. Um, and, uh, yeah, do like 80% takeout. So there's no other, so you got the, basically the, the brick and mortar restaurants, uh, and the catering and there's nothing else outside of that right now. No. Got it. Um, okay. So now let's go back to where we started. Um, your business partner, uh, he says, I want to do this restaurant and can I get some help with marketing and branding yeah. and somehow you're, you become a partner. So take us to kind of through <laughs> that, that how you yeah. guys decided to go in on this. Team. Uh, so definitely the first one was his project. I helped him really flesh out a lot of ideas that he had around menu price points. Um, at the time I was doing it work for a guy by the name of Mark Rasmus, who was a real estate developer. So I was tapping him for ideas because he was part of a group of five guys who brought, uh, Panera into town. They okay. built like nine locations and sold it back. And we were looking at Chipotle blowing up. That was expanding and just reading as much as we could about, you know, how to uh, take our thoughts on food in the sense that we both come from cultures and, and places where they don't really like refrigerate food. There's no leftovers. Everything's prepped from scratch that day, served to you that day. Uh, and we wanted to create a restaurant concept around that. That really changed the narrative around Asian food. Both Chinese, Indian food, kind of seen that way, right? Like buffet style, um, at least 10 plus years ago when we opened. Right. Um, and so we really wanted to bring what that cuisine is about, which is about being super fresh, using the ingredients that you have, and uh, creating so a menu. where does the word balance come in? What, why the word balance? Yeah, so we're macronutrient-focused uh, food. So CJ, before he uh, decided to dive headfirst into the restaurant business, uh, was a personal trainer. So he was big on creating that. So like I said, we want to take Asian food, our background, veggie-focused, very clean, made-to-order, super fresh, as fresh as we can make it, uh, and then serve a menu of essentially fast food, convenient food, that is macronutrient focused. So is it safe to say that the, the key selling proposition, the differentiator, dif- differentiating factor was the fact that it was like Pan-Asian food done healthy? I would definitely say that, yeah. Got it. We're on uh, the clean dining side. And also taking it to the fast casual world. Yes. Uh, which I think was really cool too. Um, what were your earliest challenges getting started? Well, we didn't have any money. So. Curious. Yeah, that <laughs> second generation folks like, generally don't have. A yeah, money. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we both had student loans. I'm also and, second generation too. Are you? Yeah, Italian. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It doesn't cool. Look like it. Yeah. No, it's dope though. Um, so I mean, you know the struggle. Like yeah. you, you go to school. Your parents are are immigrants. We're lucky enough to to be here in this country, right. which is amazing, and have the opportunity to go to school, and uh, then to graduate. I think like our generation was the first time you went to school, graduated, and couldn't get a job i mean that was like the common context of right. if you can get it into college you will get a job don't get uh, me started dude two hundred thousand dollars in debt when i graduated yeah yeah <laughs> 80 grand for me over 100 grand for cj i mean yeah. we just didn't we didn't care like you can get a job there wasn't any place uh, anything else to really do and we had all these credit cards which is how we got into that problem in the first place right. was like 
all these credit cards and well, we went I'll to get a job eventually and I'll be able to pay out the credit card because yeah. I'm young and I have a degree of course like what's yeah I'm who cares we'll get pizza time. this weekend right. whatever right um, but yeah I mean we wrote out this whole business plan like I said we spent eight months researching it and then we thought it was as simple as they kind of taught us in undergraduate business school you write a business plan and then you take it to a bank and a bank will finance your business yeah. and then you just open it's right. that easy right uh, it wasn't that easy. We we went to like nine banks. We got laughed out of there. We had no collateral. Right. Um, it was a concept on paper. It wasn't a franchise. There was no uh, no reason they would lend to us, and they didn't. And this so. is where it does have help to have experience because banks don't invest in ideas. They invest in people. And people. Not to say that you and CJ weren't people worth investing in but at that time we weren't man we were 24 and 25 you we were fresh out of school <laughs> we had zero gamble. collateral <laughs> yeah yeah i mean now if you're in the industry you're working for leading restaurateurs and you're geographic and the bank that can see that you went and worked for these these like best of the best in your area they know that you got a training they know that you have experience they know that you yeah. likely opened restaurants under someone else's dollar and you know what you're doing but you guys had no experience you're like no. you said 23 24 years old like so how did you get the money uh, well, we didn't. So how we opened was I negotiated. So our first landlord was the client, uh, the client for my IT work I was telling you about, Mark. Um, and I went to him. I'd been talking to him about this concept for a long period of time. We couldn't get real estate either. So it's not only that we couldn't get a loan. No landlord would lease to us because our personal guarantees were worth nothing. Yeah. Um, including, you know, I mean, we couldn't get family. They're, our family doesn't have net worth capable of even signing a basic lease yeah. so um you know we had a number of of roadblocks but luckily mark worked out a deal with us where he gave us a lot of ti and he wrote us the check essentially up front so we didn't have to have a building permit we just had to match our milestones for construction uh there so, we used so what's ti tenant improvement allowance it. so it's just dollars spent the space that we found mark had this real estate is really not great i'll show it to you later if you got a few minutes or i'll send you the the you know geolocation you can look at it on a map to this day is essentially a, a never leased plaza it was built like 20 years ago we got a random middle spot in the middle of it you know walked in we didn't we didn't know what we were doing i mean there's gravel on I the think ground i saw a photo of it is, are you, is that still a location or did you guys abandon we that yeah we got rid of it during covid uh we our lease term was up right at the end of it and we so um, you were I'll, there I'll for all 10 years yeah we were there for the full 10 years yeah, wow for sure um i mean it was a good location i just didn't want to spend the money on it i wouldn't put that amount of money in to bring it to our current brand standards um but i would go back and open another location in mommy but also at that time and you know it was the height of covid we could track all of our customer spend because all we were using was the app and we we got 95 percent transition to another one of our locations that wasn't far away that's so, awesome that's the one of the cool yeah. things one of the, the the i guess satellite benefits of having technology is that your your habits your consumer habits aren't really changing with the whole location like yes re- relocation like if they still go through the motions i want balance grill I can I can put that order in now. They might place the order and realize I have to go to a different spot, but at least their habits aren't changing that much. One hundred percent. You know. Um, oh, you, you said I'm curious about your family because I know a little bit about uh, C, CJ's family. His mom 
was in the industry. She opened a restaurant. Yeah. You said you didn't really have a lot to go to for family. But what's your family background? What, what are, what's your Yeah, background? so my mom is a certified public accountant. Okay. Um, she put herself through school. My dad uh, was an engineer. He's retired now. Got it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, so he, he would teach me how to read blueprints. And my mom taught me everything I know about really business. Accounting's really important. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That, cool people to have in your back pocket. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so you find this location in a strip mall. How far is it from where we are right now? This, we're like in downtown right now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's maybe like 15 minutes away, 20 okay. minutes away. So you were there from 2010 to 2020. 20. Yeah. Um, was that your, your one location up to 2020? No. So we opened our second one two years after we opened in 2010. So we opened in 2012 at Sylvania. Okay. And then it took us a few years to get out of that. So the first store was mostly CJ's. I had written out the business plan. I had taken it everywhere else. I ended up taking it to my client, Mark, and saying, hey, this is, I'm not getting anywhere. Like you said, you, you know about restaurants. What am I doing wrong? And he's like, pretty much everything. I'm going to show you, do you how to do this. Do you remember that conversation? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Where in that timeline did you bring this to your It's 2009. 2009? Yeah, so, so before So you're not an opened. owner at this point? Or are you an owner? No, I was basically just helping my friend. Okay, so uh, 2009, a year in, essentially. Right? No, a year before. A year before we opened. Okay. So before we opened our doors. I went to Mark. We had this business plan. I'd gone to nine banks with CJ. Uh, all the nine banks told us no. I, I was like, all right, well, I got this client. He did Panera Bread. Let me go talk to him. And he, he told me we were doing everything wrong, and this is how you have to talk to landlords. So he taught me a lot. What did he teach he, you? Um, he told me that we were unbankable, uh, and that's not the way we're going to be able to finance this, and you're going to have to look for alternate solutions. And What alternate solutions did he recommend? Um, he had recommended finding an investor. Uh, which somebody who was bankable, somebody who was bankable, or somebody who had the cash that they're willing to be the bank. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. He said this is going to take you a lot of money to do, and if you don't have the money to do it, ninety nine percent of restaurants fail. What were your projections before he told? Before you spoke to him, did he have like a pro forma um, built out? Yeah, I wrote out a pro forma. I looked at the public financial statements for Chipotle, and I like wrote in numbers. I think our first year we we're trying to do like six hundred thousand. Our first year and worked to a million within three years. How much um, did you think you were going to have to raise? Uh, I didn't even do it because I knew I had nobody in my circle that had money. Okay. There was nobody. I, I did not know anyone at that time. So he convinces you to get investors. He told me that was the only way we were going to get open and that when we had investors come back and you know he would help me find a space and talk to some people and stuff like so that. So did you find investors? No. Okay. What did you do? I just went back to him and told him to help me find some space. Okay. <laughs> and that's where we ended up in that, that center lot. So you're, you're basically like rolling the dice on a, a space that was a challenging space, but, they figure, but they're not losing anything because nobody wants that space. Yeah, they were getting a tenant out of it's it. They would, they would let CJ primarily co-sign it. He was, he was as chill as he could be with me for being a landlord. And he didn't vet out that we had the capital to actually do it, which was lucky. But what we had was a bunch of credit cards. Got it. Um, and, you know, each one of us had been issued credit cards through college. If you remember at that time, I mean, there's people pushing credit cards on college campuses, whatever. Yeah. We all signed up for them. And they would give us crazy credit lines, like 40 grand, 60 how much, grand. How much credit do you guys have to work with when you guys started? Uh, on credit cards? Yeah. So we had about a hundred and... 10,000 in credit cards. Wow. 
uh, that was unspent money on a credit card, basically, that it, within our allowance. And then what I did is I used the TI from Mark uh, to find a contractor. I was doing IT work at the How time. How much of a I TI did you get from Mark? 40 grand. Wow. Yeah. So you're at like 150,000 total? To but 160 grand. Okay. And then I bridged the rest of it. Our first store was open for 220. So I got a credit line uh, from Home Depot for about 60 grand. And then I got an Ikea credit card for about 18 grand. Damn. Yeah. And okay. So how'd you prioritize where this money went? Well, it was pretty simple. It was like credit cards can only be spent on certain stuff, but we could get credit from Home Depot and we can buy building materials from there. So we're going to do that. And the only cash we really have is coming from the landlord. That's tied to certain progress in the project. And so I went out and found a contractor within my network because that I at least knew. I was running network cable at the time, low volt cable. So I, I knew some people got hold of this guy named Jason. He was like, yeah, I'll GC your project. I'll just do all the labor. You get all the material figure out how to get it there. Um, and I'm cool with these milestones to get paid. Uh, cause he knew he was getting paid cause Mark was essentially paying him. Okay. If that makes sense. Got and it. so I would wake up every morning and go to home Depot and rent a truck for 1999 and pick up all the materials and drive it to the site. Wow. man! That's every wild. morning. That's so, wild. um, so what was the, the, the first location kind of paint the picture of what that, how close is the first location, the first rendition of the first location to what you have today? I mean, relatively open. We just didn't have really the glass. Like we had a, an open window. We had a hotline, but the kitchen was not laid out very well. It was not ergonomic. Like what you see here, this is completely designed to be like the three-step rule. So any person that's working at a station here can walk within three steps to get to where they need to be. And get access to the tools or the packaging or the product, whatever they need. When uh, did that come into frame? It, be, having Not until this store, actually. Oh, really? 2019. Yeah. And which location is this? Two or three? This is four. It's four. Sorry. Yeah. One was the center lot in a strip mall. Two was... Sylvania. So Sylvania. we got... Yeah, we got Mommy up and running. I'm sure I could spend a lot of this. Sylvania was 2012. We uh, yeah, we have a lot of this time. But I, I mean, Mommy was cool. We we tested. You said Mommy. Mommy. That was our first location. Okay. Uh, that was in that strip mall. Got it. Got it. Um, so that was 2008. We, yeah, yeah, we got open. Um, we, you know, spent the first two years really figuring out the menu, trying everything. We tried table service. We tried different sizes of bowls. We tried different types of menu items. We did salads and soups and just a noodle menu. We tried a ton of stuff. And what we ended up centering on was tacos, bowls, snacks, and bubble tea. Why? Because get bowls, close to the mic for me. Yeah, bowls are, uh, bowls are great because they are where we can get as creative as we can. It's the core of our mission, essentially. Uh, tacos are for when people want, you know, something sustaining, essentially, but they need to eat with their hands. Got so... It. Uh, we had something that you could eat with a fork that was super core to the menu. We had the option that was handheld. Uh, snacks really was just kind of an add-on option uh, and allowed us to extend a little bit uh, the depth of our food because either you could add it on as an appetizer or if you're just looking, like I said, for a quick snack or you want something with bubble tea, that menu pairing works really well. And then we've got bubble tea, which we got into in this first store right away. Okay, that was, that was early yeah. on. And it's almost a separate brand. It so is. I went to the central location. Mm-hmm. Uh, you walk in, it almost looks like a. I'm like, am I in a food court? Yeah, it's a kiosk inside yeah. of the store. Yeah, so that's how our first stores developed. 
Uh, Mommy was like that. It had its own bar. It took up a lot of the space in the dining room, which is why we tried to, you know, do it differently. Um, but by the time we reached two years, we had already paid off those credit cards because wow. CJ and I did not even have an apartment. We literally lived in the back of that wow, place. Man. We would wake up every day. We would go to Urban Active, which is a gym, we'd shower, we'd work out, go back. We'd work all day. I did my IT work half the day in, my, in the office in the back, which was also our makeshift apartment. And CJ would primarily run the or store. Something? <laughs> uh, couches, in there? Oh, wow. couches. Yeah, that's awesome. I love these stories. This is the inspirational <laughs> side of what I do. Like, I mean, and it also gives perspective to people who want to open restaurants who don't have much. Like, you can make it work if you get yeah. creative and you sacrifice and you ha- and you believe. Yeah, if and you're you- willing to work without pay for three and a half years, and right. you're at but an age where you can do off, it. Right? Yes, we were paying the debt off. So you guys work. I mean, you paid off a hundred and what was it? Two hundred and fifty thousand is what you yeah, did. I mean, by the time we were completely done with it, now the you're including the landlord's TI in there, which we didn't really have to pay back. Right. So we had about initial principal about a hundred and sixty some thousand dollars worth of credit card debt paid off in two years. Yeah, that's which huge. at that interest rate was still somewhere so in the low two hundreds. You guys must have been doing gangbusters at this location. Then. I mean, first day was like three hundred bucks. So, so no, I mean, but we grew. We grew into a destination. So take us through that growth. Like what? Like what were you doing? How did you grow? What? What? What eventually caught foothold? Yeah. So our first stores, we kind of thought we could just open and uh, like people would come. And it really wasn't the case. So we opened up. We did like 300 bucks. It slid even worse than that. This is being open 10 hours a day, right? So uh, we then uh, started doing really basic stuff like flyering. We were right across the street from a, from a business park. So Real we would marketing. do, yeah, ignorant stuff like going to put flyers on people's uh, windshields. You know, Is like, it ignorant though? Is that not, why is that ignorant? It's ignorant because you're going you're gonna to get in trouble for that. Okay. Uh, basically, you don't you don't have permission. You're entering private property, private parking uh, lots. I, I like and <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't know any better. I when I before I got into this, and when I was doing IT work, I was a DJ for a while. So like we would go promote parties and clubs doing that, and it was totally fine because we're on a college campus, yeah. and that was like pretty normal. And this is only like a year after I graduated, so I really didn't know any better. You guys are still college um, kids, practically. You're 24, totally 25 college years kids. old, you living like shit. college kids, yeah. right? I mean, we could live in that small space because we just got out of a dorm. You know, I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, the bridge wasn't really there. You're um, closer to the food court now. It's even better mm-hmm. than the dorm. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, that that was the nice thing. I mean, we always had access to food, which is really all we really needed from expense right, like right. that, haircuts, pretty much it. So what changed? Like, when did like was it just people trying your food that eventually this is good? I'm going to come back. Was it slowing? Yeah, you doing the grill and marketing, slow putting incremental, putting flyers out there. I had a buddy of mine who was down in Florida for a while. He had moved up to Ohio. He was an MC. Like I said, I was a DJ for a while. So he was doing like sign flipping and local store marketing, and he really helped us out a lot. Like we would put sign flippers out on the corner of the main intersection, free egg roll campaign, whatever it is. We'd get people in for lunch, and then we would do another promo to get them back. Make so sure what we was that? What was that promo to get them back? This is key right here. Yeah. Um, what did that so, process look like? Well, our rule was never to discount. 
Uh, that's always been my rule. I still live by that. I don't believe in discounting. I think it devalues your product. So I'd rather give you You're something You're also for attracting free. the wrong type of customer. You don't want 100%. to attract the discount shoppers because they're not loyal to you. They're loyal they to are. the price. Yeah, they're loyal to the price. Exactly. Yeah. So I would always do like a buy two bowls, get a snack free because I wanted to build that for dinner because you're not really going to eat by yourself for dinner. Whereas you could get a free tea or a free egg roll, non-shareable snack with a single person that's going to be so dining discounting you're trading value for a return visit yeah i mean it's in essence like yeah you are discounting but there's something different that happens in people's minds when they get a buy one get one or they get a free item for doing something else it's it, the value remains the same if we sell the egg roll for two bucks or whatever it's still a two dollar egg roll but the second you buy it for a dollar fifty it is no longer worth two dollars right you know that's yeah. that's the issue with yeah. it so when you have them come in the first time, you would offer them a, like a like bring this back and you can get a free yeah, egg roll. Hundred percent. So we'd like give them something. No, the free egg roll was always on the promo. It'd be on the flyer or it'd be on the sign flipper sign or whatever it is. Or when we talk to people, it'd be like, go to Balance, go there for lunch, order a bowl, or you're going to get a free egg roll. Got it. Uh, and then everybody who came in, we would give them something else like a shareable snack or drinks or whatever we needed to essentially uh, created different cards, different promos, tried them over and over again to try and get them to bring a second person in. So we're in a business park, right? People are going to go out to eat by themselves. Or they're going to eat in small groups. So I, I'm, with I'm driving on the street. I see some dude flipping a sign. I'm like, that guy's talented at flipping signs and this place sounds healthy. I'm going to go check it out. Yeah. I walk in the front door. What happens? Uh, I order well, my food. At that time, yeah, we had POS stations, a counter. You'd walk in, you'd wait, you'd order your food, and we would just be like, you want your free egg roll. That's pretty much it. And so, then like, I saw on the sign that I get a free egg roll. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we weren't that sophisticated at the time, so we just trained people, uh, and it was mainly us, to just be like, look, if you're coming for lunch, like, you're going to get Egg rolls are delicious. Yeah, the egg rolls are just I had there. one yesterday. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, they're good. bomb. They're yeah. super flaky. Did yeah. you get the hot mustard? I did. Yeah, it's, it's like the good hot monster. It's not yeah. that cheap shit. <laughs> I, I yeah, we make it here, yeah. uh, and it is is pretty intense. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then anybody who had a great experience would always table touch and be like, "How was how was your lunch? How was it? Whatever." We just throw a flyer in their bag. There's always a reason to come back. So when you that's get, so that's what I'm kind of missing. So you you would give them the free egg roll. How would you get them to come back a second time? That's give the, them another promo, but so, something that requires them to bring in another person and to redeem it. Okay. So instead of just being a singular menu item, like you can bowl, purchase a bowl or a taco and you're going to get a free small snack, I'd give you a snack of greater value. That would just be on a card? Yeah. Like a really, really simple, man. Yeah. I mean, I would print this out on like eight and a half well, by 11 paper. It is paper. super simple, and that's why I want, I'm <laughs> trying to get you to share it because there's something, it's not enough. Like, there's a, a bunch of things that you're doing right that I just want to bring to the surface. One, you're, you're guerrilla marketing. You're getting out there, you're making noise, you're showing up, you're getting people flipping signs. Do what you got to do to get them in the door. You get yeah. them in the door. The, the goal after that is getting them back. Yes. And, and you're also, you're not discounting, but you're doing the closest thing to that, which adds value, is you're, 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 if you ever donate anything, I learned this from somebody, I can't remember, to, uh, Tzatziki's Grill, I think, or something like that. I can't remember the name of the guest. But when, never, if anybody ever asks you to donate or do anything, always give food. If you're ever giving any, anything away, give food because you want to put food into the mouths. Like you want people to yeah. taste. If you're going to be putting money towards something, you want your people to taste the food. Yes. Right? So like if you're going to give anything away, give it away in the form of food because you're showing them what you got. 
hundred percent. Right? Um, and there's, a, I think there's something that's like subconscious there, like baked into our DNA that like as far back as we've been alive, like we give, we share our food with the people we like. And that's, yes. you know, like that's just a very human thing. Like, Oh, I want you to be friends with me here. Have this, just have it. Cause 100%. I like you. And there's something that goes on internally and people do that. Um, so I just think that this, but there's another thing. If you get something to come back three times, yes. they're like 75% or 74% right. More likely to be a long term. So do yep. whatever you got to do to get them to come back. So first, first entry, the sign, the, the spinner, the gorilla marketing. Second, you get a free, um, you get a bounce back. You, you bring them back. Is there a third way to get them back or is it just the two? You just that keep you doing that over and over again. Yeah. You know, so how long did it take you guys to start like, you know, like profiting? Like, um, I don't think I really had a clear concept of profit. I mean, I, if I if I looked at my tax returns, we've been profitable every year we've been open. But again, I didn't have the cost basis of compensating myself or my business partner for the first three and a half years. Yeah. So this is post the opening of our second store. So we figured all this stuff out in the first store. Grew from 300 bucks a day to about 1200 bucks a day. Okay. And we thought we were over doing... Over a two-year period. Over a two-year period. And we tried a bunch of different menu stuff. Really fine-tuned. We're using compostable packaging at that time, 2011. Pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I had the opportunity to sell part of my IT business, which was still my primary occupation. So for me, the restaurant wasn't my full-time thing, but I had my IT office there. This is another good lesson, too. Uh, like start part-time and swing into it. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I was, my main job was running seventh green, which is my IT company. And CJ's main job was running balance. And my job was to do all the administrative stuff. So accounts payable, accounting, uh, payroll, you know, we did all our stuff ourselves. So I would yeah. run that cause I'm doing my own work. Uh, and I had an office that was my deal, but my office became our apartment. So long story short, we got going. I had the opportunity to sell my business. I thought I had a ton of money at that time. I was 26, 27. And I got 80 grand for it, uh, which was, I thought was an insane amount of money. <laughs> um, and my first thing to do, not setting up, not buying my fiance a ring, not doing any of that, was to go and open another location. I wanted one so bad. I wanted to go and like prove that if we weren't in this absolute shit of a location, terrible location uh which was our mommy spot we this concept could just do so much better and we tried to work out a deal with our our college at the time because we thought like going back to school having the spot on campus that's the that's the dream yeah. at that age um and we went through like two months of negotiations that i'm falling apart it was a bad deal they changed a bunch of stuff and i was driving home from that and i saw this corner spot where my parents live in the in the suburb called sylvania and I was like, I just want that so bad. I want to be on a corner so bad. And I called this guy up, and he's a local guy, still one of my good friends to this day, Joe Chu, taught me a ton of stuff. Absolute beast of a business guy, okay? Uh, and we worked out a deal in three weeks, and I was under construction with, wow. like, sketched out drawings my dad helped me do. Uh, still use credit cards, no bank, but I had 80 grand in capital at that point. I had a demo out of T-Mobile. We tried to get the space next to us which is a chiropractic office and even offered them half of the cash I had to get them to move so I could build the whole restaurant. Cause all they had was 1400 square feet. Our mommy location was 1900 square feet and I knew I had to be bigger, but that was the only place to go. So I couldn't spill backwards into their space at the time. So they turned down my offer. I put all my money into building out a stainless kitchen with glass, like pretty much what you see now, not as refined. So why did you add the glass? 
it was always there. We always had windows in Maumee, but we didn't have the money to even fill them. They were literally just open, open windows. So like, is it there now? Is the the original the mommy location the original location? That's the one that we closed in oh, it's closed. in 2020. Yeah, because we got That's to the right. end That's of right. our 10 year lease. It was going into that. I knew I wanted to revamp them. See, the thing about being debt financed, like so you, the way that we were, yeah, because we we built the first store in cash and some credit card debt, primarily because it was only 1,400 square feet, and all be all we built was this kitchen right here. We didn't have the the space to do a T-bar or anything like that. I mean, it was so small, dude. We built mezzanine space over the bathrooms. Wow. And we would walk up there, and we had a piece of plywood that went over the span that was the hallway. (laughs) And we had an open ceiling tile, and we would drop packaging through the open ceiling tile to restock. I mean, it was like watching people run a restaurant off of the wire. But it's also, I just love the creativity and just like the... when. if you want it bad enough, your brain will figure out a way to make it happen. You'll yeah, get man. creative. You we know, just did it. This is the thing. Like, we had nothing to lose. Yeah. What were we going to lose? We were just in debt. We had credit card debt. We had student loan debt. Right. We couldn't get a job. That's the cool thing about being young. And, it's like you literally have nothing to lose. Yeah, like and that. just super ignorant. Yeah. You know, just completely Absolutely. not really thinking things through 100%, right. but just right. kind of believing in what you're doing, running it out, having a good time. So was the, menu, great time. Is, was the menu dialed in? by the, that two years before going to the second location? I mean, pretty dialed in. All the rough edges worked out. Like, we knew what people wanted. They wanted these bowls. They were cool with just one size. They really liked tacos. At that time, we had a, a menu called Seasonal Specials. And we had tacos on it, but we also had noodle dishes on it. And, you know, the tacos were winning. Uh, bubble tea was great. We were really refining the menu. At that time, we were also doing these, like, spring drops and fall drops. And we would pair tons of stuff with just the menu. So... The entire design, the color scheme, the entire menu design, the layout, a lot of stuff would change twice a year, become iterative. So we would capture customer feedback, and then we'd kind of pine it up, and then when we changed the menu, we changed a bunch of other stuff, operational practices, and it became what we have now, which is like versioning. When did this start happening in the timeline? I mean, this started like right away. Okay, right. Right away. I viewed the menu that we serve and the training it takes to produce the menu as the software yeah. and the restaurant and the layout, the equipment as the hardware. So it's like, a, like developing an iPhone rapidly, you know, just, and that's the cool thing about having different experiences and coming in and you just see things differently. And when did, when did the technology start? Was it always kiosks? No. So we piloted, we were piloting kiosks pre COVID. It was still conversational ordering as a primary method along with about 50% app. When we went into COVID. So before COVID, you had how many locations? Five locations. Five locations. Yeah. We closed. Including the we, original. Yep. And we closed that one. And then we opened a location last year. We're opening one this year. Yeah. Got it. So when, at what point did you guys really start to transform into what you are today? Uh, after the second location, we really hammered it out. I mean, that second location, day one, no T-bar, just a kitchen. We did $1,400 the day we opened. By the second week, we were doing 2800 So we knew we were on to something. But you we brought were, the, the T-bar back at other locations. Uh, right? Yeah. So like the central? second location, yeah. So I was saying I offered money to those chiropractic yeah. uh, people like, leave. They didn't leave. So what I did is I got a first right of refusal on it. I blew through my entire budget and then some. Uh, and opened the store. It was doing gangbusters, but then within six months of opening, 
the chiropractic people left by themselves. And my landlord was going to go lease out the space unless I took advantage of the first right of refusal, which means I could lose that expansion space for the next 10 years. So six months after you offered yeah. the deal, they're like, now nah, we're out of here. Yeah. After oh six gosh. months after we open. So I'm like, all right, I got this first right. I need space. Business is going great, but I have no money. I have every credit card I could possibly get my hands on is maxed out. I'm still primarily doing IT work at this time. I'd pulled my wife in to come help out. I made her quit her job. I'm like, you work with CJ. I'm going to run the back end of this thing. I'm going to start solving problems, and we're going to really focus on this. You're the and, integrator. Yeah. I don't know if you know that terminology. Are you familiar with traction? Uh, the EOS stuff? Yeah. 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 I'm totally the integrator. Yeah. yeah. I love that you know EOS. <laughs> yeah. I studied that. Uh, this guy has served on the board of the Ohio Restaurant Association. Uh, he's a big EOS guy. He turned me on to it, read about I, it. I, just, I didn't go through any like formal training, but yeah. So you know the name Mike Payton? Mm-hmm. I had him on the show last week. No way. Yeah, man. Yeah, that dude's like the co-author. Yeah, he's a, yeah. he's a legend. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, sorry, geek out moment right there. Yeah, for but, sure. Um, so, okay, so you're so this is you're taking us through this transformation. You're bringing your wife on board. Uh, you're putting her in, uh, you know, to help out with. Yeah, uh, with ops, C- with CJ. CJ. He's running the kitchen. She's running the front of house. I'm doing the. And you're working on the business. Stuff. They're working, working in the business, the business. You're working on the business. 100%. Uh, so what I ended up having to do, I had no money, so I would go pick up IT jobs I could do at night, go run networks, whatever I could do. I bottomed Jesus. out my prices, and I worked awesome. all night, and then I would spend all day self-constructing the space. And I like put up the drywall myself. I put down the floors myself. I painted it. Uh, I mean, I paid people every day they came to work on the construction side of it. I mean, it was really like hand-to-mouth stuff. That's also where I had gotten out of the back of mommy, got an apartment, had to go back with my parents. Uh, but my parents were semi-supportive at this time because it was like, it was blowing up. Yeah, they're I seeing mean, the, the growth. Yeah, they're seeing it. They see just, you know, I mean, I was working 20 hours a day. That's wild, man. I was working all night, all day on balance, all night doing IT work. Um, there's really like no zero days off. So when was the next tipping point? And actually, that's going to be our first cue to take a break. Thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to talk about when the next tipping point was. Yeah. Restaurant Unstoppable Network is back, baby. And we're better than ever before. We already have six live events in the works. And we're just getting started. If you sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network right now, you can be a part of these six live events. We have Casey Anton, the author of Profit First for restaurants talking about profit first. We have Christine Miles, the author of What Is It Costing You Not to Listen? And It's Costing You a Lot. Tom Sterner, the author of The Practicing Mind, Fully Engaged, and It's Just a Thought to Help You Get Into That Right that right Mindset and to Will Your Future Into Existence. We have Kathleen Wood, the woman behind one thing who's helped so many of our past guests focus and channel their energy to doing one thing really well. We have Mike Payton, the former chief visionary officer or whatever title you want to call it, but he was the guy behind the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, uh, the, the, the traction library of books. We're going to get him in the network to talk about EOS. And we have Dave Nitzel and Dave Domzalski, co-authors of The Bar Shift and Hospitality DNA, to talk about their findings in their most recent book, Hospitality DNA. We have a great lineup coming your way. And all you have to do is head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. You'll find a link 
and a banner for our RU network. Click the link, get a 30-day no-strings-attached trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will get a free Restaurant Unstoppable t-shirt. And if you opt in to the annual plan, I'll throw in a Restaurant Unstoppable hat and a mug. But you got to act fast because these are going to go real quick, I have a feeling. And thank you for your support. We're back. So um, you're taking us through the natural evolution, the growth. And I love yeah. how you're bootstrapping a lot of this and, and staying lean and just getting tapping into that frontal lobe to find a way, to find a way and start where you can and create opportunity for yourself for, for growth around, along the way, too. I think that's really cool, like yeah. knowing to get the space next to your second location, having that foresight. So when I just asked you before going to break, when was the next tipping point? What was the next evolution? For yeah, you? it was having this successful location. So, this so the it created, yeah, this was just blowing up. And because it blew up so hard, our original destination store in Mommy was blowing up and doing numbers it had never done before. So I lost my office, turned into a storage room. I had no place to run my IT stuff. I was still doing IT stuff at this time. And so I got an office that I split with Balance in my IT company across the street from our Sylvania location. Really old space. That turned half into a storage room. I was still like, had some office space to run my IT business. And we just really developed, man. I built our first LMS system entirely from scratch. Wow. I recorded it on a cell phone and built a website. It's 2012 still, This right? is 2013, 2013 at this point. So 2013 was all of the, the build out and expansion of the other side. And then we popped through. I still didn't have the money to build a T-bar. Uh, 2014, I opened that year building a T-bar. And uh, I literally built that myself. Watch YouTube videos. The guy I called, not a great contractor, showed up with all his tools, was kind of intoxicated. <laughs> and I'd already brought all the materials there. Because at this point, the only way I knew how to build stuff was to go rent a truck from Home Depot, buy the materials and drive it there. And then right. I would work with contractors and pay them for their labor. So I YouTubed how to build stuff and frame stuff. And I did the majority of the T-bar myself wow. while we're open at night every single Sylvania. day. This is Sylvania. Yeah. When we got the T-Bar open, it was limitless. I mean, starting to do 4 or 5K a day with minimal overhead. Just the T-Bar I mean, alone? Yeah. Just 4 to 5K a day? Well, no, the, the overall operation. Got it. Yeah, we, we blew the T-Bar way out now. I mean, our daily totals are in the five figures for that location. So why T-Bar? What's going on there? What was, what was going through your mind as far as why? Like, we need to offer It was just stuff. the request, man. I mean, yeah. we had a fridge up in the front. I'd make bubble teas at Mommy and drive them every morning to Sylvania and then go run our catering orders. Then I'd do my IT work for the day, and then I'd check in at midday. Well, uh, and. Sorry. You know, yeah, I mean, it's just like it was the daily grind. I realized that more and more people are buying bubble teas. And I was like, I got to be able to make the bubble teas here because people would get turned on to balance from the Sylvania location. Go to mommy. They're like, hey, you have this whole tea bar. You don't even have this at Sylvania. What's the deal with that? And I'm like, it sells out every morning. They're like, well, go build a tea bar. Well, I think, too, 2012, 2010, like there's bubble tea is not really a thing in the States. Yeah, it it's big in Asia. Yeah. Um, it's tapioca, right? It's tapioca, but our differentiation, we, we got onto these popping bubbles okay, yeah, very gonna, early. That that threw me a curveball. Yeah. I was not expecting that pop. I got one yeah. yesterday when I went to your um, centrals. I love that so, you secret stopped us. That's yeah. so awesome, dude. <laughs> dude was, I, was wa- I was waiting for like a chewy tapioca, and yeah, I bit it, gotcha, and it didn't it? Me. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, what is that? Yeah, people um, got it, man, because we would call it boba, and they were like, what, what is this? And it was weird and whatever. But once I called it bubble tea, and yeah. I built the whole... You know, we had menu screens at the time right there. It had bubbles on it, and 
we put the bubbles in the front so you can visually see them. And it, all these things are just really subtle things to like meet customers well, before they're at. It's juxtaposition in the market where you're doing yeah. it, like you're, you're taking Asian culture and you're injecting it into the Midwest. Exactly. Right? Yeah, you nailed it, dude. Yeah. It's like how do we adapt it to, to bring out how many cool things are happening in Asia here in a way that they are not, I don't want to use the word Americanized, but just like brought to our consumers level of uh expectation and like where their entrance point is yeah to, like pick up on this stuff you know yeah and it just you stand out but like there's like little things people will talk about the popping like bubbles in a tea I'm like i gotta go try that and then while i'm here i might as well get lunch and holy shit 100%. the food is delicious too yeah and healthy and there wasn't a lot of option for that well the then. bubble tea was really about getting the kids so that's what we wanted so like peer we would get a lot of people doing work like they would come in for lunch we were a big lunch spot and then transitioning to dinner for takeout that was like a huge next step and then once we got dinner and the bubble tea was like half there the bubble tea brought in the kids which filled our midday so like every one of our menu sections is geared towards a specific age group so the core customer, business customer, is starting to surround the place that we're around right now, right? They're here for a working lunch or whatever. They're getting a bowl. Uh, the, uh, like, more millennials, like our age, were getting tacos. Uh, and then some people, anybody would get a snack. And bubble tea really became this thing for, like, kids who were in school. So we, again, having no money, uh, we would print our own stickers to put on the bubble tea cups. And what ended up happening was people would like take the stickers off and go put it on their books in school or fill their locker with it, whatever it is, right? And these are just like little viral ways to, to blow up. Another little viral way, we had a Twitter screen like really early on, 2011. I built this uh, web app and it would uh, people would tweet or mention balance on social media and it would show up on a TV screen in the That's store, cool. like, a, like a live guest book. That's cool. Um, and I would put it right in the order area. And then what would happen is you'd come in and it became part of your process to like tweet when you were there. Uh, and, you know, it's just like a thing to do. I mean, we were getting hundreds of mentions a day. Uh, and then later when Twitter allowed photos is really what broke that because uh, of the inevitable uh, dick pic. So, oh, yeah. Um, so I had to get rid of that. But I'm to say I've never sent a dick pic in my entire life. Yeah. I don't get the appeal, man. I don't I don't hundred percent want to go here. I'm down for the log forward podcast. But yeah, no, I've never sent a dick pic either. It was super awkward. I was there at the time and the guy like literally walked out of the bathroom and we made eye contact and he was like, Oh, that thing works. And I was like, Yeah, bro. What, what are you doing? I don't get it. What's wrong? <laughs> anyway, so what I'm curious about from now until like, you know, twenty twenty or maybe like I don't like to talk a lot about twenty twenty, but it's cool to talk about where you are now because of 2020 yeah right? so it forced a lot of us to evolve and the, go through this the short answer is we're on version two so i was i was getting here in the previous conversation because we didn't get bank funded until store number three okay so so sylvania got super po- popular we built out an lms i had this other office by there i figured out a lot of supply chain from there because what i was doing was distributing to ourselves every day and then I moved up from that office to a space that was actual flex space that had like legit, like a, like a commissary area for test kitchen office space. I'm still there now and warehouse space. And we would self deliver broken cases every single day to our stores. That's what allowed us to deal with like years 
thirty percent self delivered broken cases. What do you mean by that? I mean we have an entire other company under our umbrella. You had I should have probably said this when you asked me earlier, like what all do we do? What are the different aspects of the enterprise? But one of them is we have a distribution company. We evolved to that because we had all this weird stuff. Asian stuff, bubble tea stuff, compostable packaging. I mean, at this time, you couldn't even get compostable packaging from like a, like a Cisco. Now, is that right? vertically integrated? Is it, is it its yeah. own LLC? It's its own LLC. Okay. Yeah. I love uh, that. LLC structure for us, a little bit complicated. I got a little LLC happy. But but it's good. To, I mean, there's you want to, to protect your businesses in different... Like yeah. every location should have... And I want to get that inventory off of my balance sheet. Yeah. So, yeah. so you start... So you have... Balance Grill. You start another company, which is called Balance Campus. And what this campus would do is supply our own stores. At what point did you open that? 2014. Okay. So that was after... After we got out of this. First two locations. First two locations. I had this office now on offsite of Sylvania. We finally started paying ourselves. And the next thing we really needed to challenge ourselves to do was fill supply chain. Because we could sell more, but we were running out every day. I mean, at this point... It's a good problem to have. It's a good problem. It's a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, because you you make more money. Yeah, 100%. And so uh, I was able to build campus all out of cash flow, which was sick. Office space, warehouse space. I mean, we set it up like a Costco. I had people specifically employed to do that. So every morning they would get an order from our stores. They would go through, and if you need a sleeve of this or whatever you need. And at, su- at a point in the summer, we were doing two deliveries a day to our stores because we really didn't have the space. So the problem with being debt-funded is every improvement you have to make, you have to do after you've serviced your debt from whatever remaining cash flow is there. And it's difficult to go out and get small loans to like do upgrade projects when you're already super debt-loaded. Right. It's just really difficult. you know. Yeah. And so a lot of our progress up until COVID was iterative, meaning that every store was like a new version of that hardware I was telling you about. Like mommy was iPhone one, Sylvania was, you know, uh, iPhone two and then two and a half. So like the S Perrysburg, uh, by the time we got to Perrysburg, when was Perrysburg? Perrysburg was 2015. And that's the third location or fourth location number three at this point in the chronological order of opening them. So that what? was our first one that was bank funded. It was Greenfield Development. Like I said, we were, we were kind of had gotten our name out. The developer already knew who we were. We hit him up. We're like, hey, we want to be on this corner. Uh, we knew that a Costco was going in. So it was going to be it was going to be a developing area. It was the only other affluent suburb of the Toledo metro area. Sylvania and Perrysburg are pretty much it. All of our customers would be like, you got to go to Perrysburg. Perrysburg, is that on Central Street? Is that where I was was yesterday? No. Central Avenue is the Sylvania store. That's like our iterative update. Yeah, that was store number two. Uh, Store number three is is the Perrysburg store, and this was like dirt. At this I point. mean, I was there. So you guys must have knocked on the wall that was the office that you took over because it's yeah. a wide open space now. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, but yeah. you see where there's a separate door that comes in on the side. If you, you want to see it, uh, if you just go on Google Maps and you go to Street View, you can walk into the store no. and then you can drag backwards all the way to 2012 <laughs> and you can literally watch the store develop. Oh, that's cool. Because we did these Google Street Tour walkthroughs every two years. Nice. I almost grabbed my camera and got some B-roll of that space yesterday, but I was trying to be in- inconspicuous. Yeah. So I was like, I'm trying to fly under the radar. And I didn't want to break out the cameras, but... Uh, I'll send you some. Sounds good. We're definitely going to get some B-roll today. That's for sure. This place is cool. Uh, didn't notice, not to jump around too much, there's no... Teeth 
bar here. T-Bar's on the other side. Did I miss it? Yeah. Oh, it, I see it now. This okay. was the first store, and then Cleveland, we had the idea to combine the T-Bar with the Expo counter. Because like we said earlier, they were kiosks. They were kiosks because I didn't have this. I mean, the way that I just explained Sylvania developed, it was just the kitchen. We expanded. We had the dining room. And about six months later, we added the T-Bar. Got it. And so it was just this constant process. I mean, Sylvania was a construction site pretty much continuously from 2012, the day that we opened, all the way till we got into COVID. COVID was my first chance. Like, my first chance. We were doing, like, all curbside to go through. And I brought all the stores up to the latest hardware version. That makes sense. Got it. Sylvania got a new hood, new rooftop units, new sanitary drain system, new electrical panels, electrical service. I mean, I built that entire store from the inside out. It looks like a new store. Yeah, That's it, why it, I didn't it think it was the second one. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, I did that in 2021. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So um, 2015 is your first time having bank financing. Bank fundings. Yeah. How did things change at this point? Well, we reorged. So we combined... Mommy, which was primarily owned by CJ, and Sylvania, which is primarily owned by me. And um, we uh, created like a holding company, an IP holding company. And what advice do you have for how company. to do this? Like, this is important stuff. Really important. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I, at this point, I put together a board of advisors, and a couple of them were intellectual property attorneys, and they connected me with other attorneys that were really smart. And how'd you have this access to the board of advisors? Friends of the family? Like, what? No, uh, just customers oh, that smart. came into balance that were really smart guys that would spend time talking to me and I would spend time networking. The IP attorney specifically because I was still doing IT work until 2015. So it wasn't until I decided to open Perrysburg, do this entire reorganization. I was married at this point. I got married in 14. She stayed with uh, you, huh? She did. Wow. Yeah. I got married in 13. <laughs> I should know that because this year is our 10-year wedding anniversary. But After making a uh, quitter job, working a restaurant. Dude, you got a Na- Navi is an absolute soldier. <laughs> I mean, she is amazing. Uh, it is because I have her that I can do stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, we tag team everything. But uh, CJ, also great. I mean, he's total family, you know, he's a brother to me at this point. Yeah. So I do want to talk about partnership at some point, but I'm interested before we derail that you're mm-hmm. talking about setting up the business, like the, the structuring. Of the yeah. Business. So the first store was CJ 75%, 25% me. I really had no basis because I didn't put any money in, but neither did CJ. It was all loans. Yeah. We treated we had personal credit cards. We treated those as personal loans, we paid ourselves back, paid the credit cards back. That's how we got out of it. I put yeah. some credit card debt into the first store. I got paid back. The second store, I'd put money in, so I had some basis, but it didn't really matter. I mean, the idea was that store was going to be 75%. Me and I'm just going to credit CJ 25%. We thought that's how it worked. We got busier, and we knew we needed to get debt. And this legal structure was preventing us from being able to get debt. And so The business we, has debt, but you don't have debt. Well, we had no debt. No, I mean, we were paid off by the time we went to go build the Perrysburg store. Yeah, so when we went to go do Perrysburg, we needed a better legal structure. And so what we did is we worked with these attorneys, and they counseled us that we were developing intellectual property in two different companies simultaneously without any holding company. And so what we should do is assign both of them to an IP holding company. That has our concept. And also because our IP is super valuable, our intellectual property is super valuable. Like we, we have the trademark on the plain text word balance yeah. for restaurant services and I've defended it. So just that alone is worth a lot. 
Um, so we created another company for that. That's good for tax strategy too, converting active to passive income, then collecting license fees. So, so you develop companies strictly just to own your assets. Yeah. So the physical assets and intellectual property are held by two different LLCs, and that allows us to get debt not on the operating entities, but just on the companies that have the assets. And then we lease the assets back to our LLCs that actually operate. So two entities, one on intellectual property, one on like actual like physical assets. That's correct. The stores, the equipment. And both of those are leased or licensed back is to the operating entities. That? There is a holding company that holds the entities, but the IP is separate from the holding company. Got it. Any other variables to this that we need to know? Anytime you're opening a new store, is it underneath the it's asset new, well, holding de- company? Well, it depends on how we open a store now. So if we open another corporate store... The store would open under the holding company. and But there's two holding companies. No, the IP Sorry. is just an IP holding company. That creates a license to a restaurant holding company, which has individual LLCs for each revenue center, essentially. Every lease, every light fixture bill, you know, utility bills, all that kind of stuff, it all is assigned to an individual LLC. That is 100% owned by a holding company. Also under that holding company is our physical asset. And that way I can get debt really just against the holding company or just against the asset company and control where we have guarantees. So every time you have a new LLC, every time you open a new location, are you getting a a unique uh, EIN or do you have an LLC series? Uh, They're unique EIN and then they fall into a series or Q-sub after their first year. Yeah. Okay. This is... Maybe a little bit more than I'm able to have a conversation around, but this is good stuff. I mean, this is why we have the conversation so we can yeah. learn it. Uh, but I mean, I think the, the key thing is get lawyers. Yeah. Get you got to have, have your team together, which Just, is your lawyer, your accountant, your insurance agent. Yeah. And those three right there are going to figure all this stuff out. Yeah. And that way we can just keep doing what we do. Yeah. We just had re- recently Pinky Cole on the show from Slutty Vegan and, um, she was talking about her first restaurant was which was separate for like two years before she opened the slutty, the slutty vegan brands she had a grease fire oh man and, and she didn't That's have tough. fire insurance she didn't think the fire insurance was necessary so it just goes to Damn. show like have an insurance broker yes. they know what you need uh, yes. you don't want to you don't want to miss those you don't want to make those mistakes for sure but um yeah. all right so i think we can wrap up the the real like how you guys are licensing everything not licensing but the the, the structure, entity, yeah. How we're doing so we have that. the restaurant holding company, we have the IP holding company, we have the farm, which is a separate LLC, the warehouse, which is a separate LLC, and all our franchising is done to a separate LLC. And that's mostly just to protect yourself legally. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on, and and how they're financed. How yeah. they're financed. Got it. So in the timeline, 2015, three locations. Um, what was like? the next pivotal thing for you guys as far as like the transformation, the evolution? Yeah. Once we had three locations up and running and they were all doing relatively similar, uh, economics, um, that really gave us a ton of attention and that was great. We decided to, um, you know, accelerate our growth, do it to corporate, build out a couple more stores, prove it out more. We did this project, which we're sitting in right now, which is downtown Toledo. We did the farm, which is also downtown Toledo. Farms and we did downtown Cleveland. Door. Yeah. So two, when, when did this location pop up? Uh, well, we started the project in 17. Uh, we opened uh, this store, I believe, in 18. We opened Cleveland in 19. We opened the farm in 19. Is that all the locations up to this point? Up until that point, yeah. Right. But we basically did three projects simultaneously, which I would caution anybody else 
at a three-store level where you think you're absolutely king shit, do not do that Why? many projects at once because it's overwhelming. Right. You're just one person. During this time, my wife and I were also having our first kid. Wow. Uh, I was going through all these projects. Every problem that happened became a domino that eventually affected the next project. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was ridiculous. Um, but, you know, we were also getting some really great attention. I mean, we scored like fifth on the top fast casual list. Uh, that year. What was the 2019? This was uh, 2017. Okay. Yeah, when right when we were starting the planning process. So we planned it. I built out the downtown Toledo location first. Then I was going to go to Cleveland and build out that location. And then I was going to build out the farm. Got it. Um, so you're at one, two, three, four, four five. locations, five locations. Five locations point? with downtown Cleveland. You yeah. did close the original in That's 2020. Correct. And then you opened two more. Yes. So... I guess, what, what does it make sense? We're, we're at an hour and nine minutes of recording. <laughs> it goes by fast. It does. We're, you know what you've achieved relative to other restaurants out there. What do you think you should talk about? Like, in, along this timeline, but like, what, is, what do you think you have to offer specifically that's special about just your story? Man. Um, I guess one is the way we got started, which we just went over. Yeah. Two is how we've applied technology okay. and what our employment uh, model is just super unique super relevant really it's just that the entire business model has been super resilient through COVID it's these values that we have that have developed into our business model led us through an insanely difficult time what are your values yeah so I'm glad you asked yeah. so one of them is being uh, really inclusive and uh, loving and that means that we Hire people of all backgrounds, and there's really no uh, like uniformity. So yes. we don't really believe in that. We believe in bringing people into positions that uh, amplify who they are as people and like not diminish their personal style. So you'll see that a lot of our staff here. But then that also translates combined with transparency, which is another one of our core values, which you can see obviously Literally. with the glass. But there's also like the transparency combined with that inclusivity has created what we call the badge system, which is our employment model. You said badge? Yeah, badge system. So a badge is a, uh, it's a body of knowledge that qualifies you to work a specific shift on the schedule that has an associated pay raise with it. Yes, this is huge. Yeah, and what that means is there's a simple formula that anybody who works here knows and you can see it you know also in our software basically but everybody knows what everybody else makes you can get a raise anytime yeah. nobody's coming to me and asking me for a raise if they want to raise they're they just going to elect do. to cross train into another position yes and you're paid for the value you bring the skills you own. yeah yeah absolutely it's I great love this. we um, we did a full episode around this subject with nick cirillo from nick's pizza in chicago and it's called tangible growth tangible Framing for growth or something is what we labeled it. But this, okay. this idea of like you're when you hire somebody, you need to be able to point to a literal path that you've carved out for them to say, okay, you want to raise, you want to like where do you want to be? Like like what are the different paths? What are the different verticals of growth in your industry or in your in your restaurant? And like you yeah. show people these are the paths. This is how you grow. Um, so we don't do that. Okay, what, what so ours ours is different. Ours is more like a schedule, like a menu, and they carve their own path. 
Okay. And that's what I mean by inclusivity, right? Like a lot of people have these pathways of growth, but they have but to know they are all, there's a path to grow, but they're all vertical. Got it. They all require you to ascend and take on responsibility. I mean, they're not really, there's defined endpoints, I should say. In our system, you can combine the badges any way you want. Okay. So let me try and explain a little bit better. You get hired in, it's base wage, uh, and then you, you have trained badges. And so there are five major positions throughout the store. You can make bubble tea, you can make food, you can prep, you can expo, you can help customers. Got it. And all of these, the base position, you're working underneath the shift leader. And in any one of these, you can cross train in any way you want. There is not a defined pathway. There's not different options. So you could chart your own path based on hundred percent. And that means that you can also step back. So you're combining something. personal growth with autonomy. Yes. Which it's is completely autonomous. Yeah. So the other thing is that the shift leaders are basically led by computers. They're, they're led by software task lists. And that is what differentiates a shift leader from somebody else who's so doing a the shift position. leader is led by a computer. Help me understand that better. Yeah, I mean, the difference between a shift leader and what we call a brand advocate or base level position is essentially that you have a task list and that you're taking responsibility for how that shift goes. You can measure the metrics for how that shift goes a bunch of different ways. You can look at wait time. You can look at what the average ticket was. Uh, there's tons of different operational metrics. And then also just qualitative metrics like completing a task list, right? What's the space between the tasks that you completed? Was your task list completed on time? Was it com- you know, completely done? And what's running that technology? Uh, so we use a few different software systems and feed them together. So this is kind of where the badge system is, is colliding into the technology. But, um, yes. but, but the, So one, one thing that you are doing that's still similar to the, the Nick Cirillo thing is that you're treating your you're treating your business like a university. And I think that's one thing that's in, yes. where like you... Like, hey, like there's entry level freshman year, right? Like you got hired, you know, and then it's like, okay, what do you want to, what, what do you want to major in? Yes. You know, and then, but you have the courses plotted out. That's correct. So, yeah. There's an entire LMS system. Every yeah. one of these badges has a coursework so, that's associated exactly. with it. So, correct. hey, I want to become, I want to go to, a, I don't know if you have saute or grills, a station or like whatever. I want to learn that. You have a whole um, curriculum developed. Yes. So you go through the curriculum. Well, that's, you're getting to the core of the value prop. So like people who don't do this, I don't think understand what the restaurant industry is. Do you like, get to the core of the value proposition? Is that what you just said? Yes. Okay. So the value prop, the people know value prop. They understand menu. You have to have a menu to open a restaurant because how are you going to serve your customers if you don't have a menu? How do you serve your employees? Yeah. Because they need a menu to, to grow. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. just nailed it. Yeah. I mean, it, that is essentially what the badge system is. Because Where'd you learn about this? I came up with it. I love it, dude. Yeah. You weren't influenced by anybody doing something nope. similar? Wow. I actually just found somebody else who's doing something very similar at a conference, and he was talking about it. It was a new development for him. So this is at the, the, the National Restaurant Show? It was not at the National Restaurant Show. It was we at another just conference. There. We, we didn't were. bump into each other. We didn't, yeah. but I also didn't go for too long. Yeah, I was only I, there for two days, too. Yeah. I don't really like the shows. I'm not going to lie. It's really intense. It's like going to an Ikea. Yeah, you know, it's like overwhelming. You, you need a shower after you leave. And then every yeah, everyone you walk by is trying to like sell you something. You yeah. Know? Um, anyway. I'm but it is cool to go there and, and meet up with people. So yeah, we went there for the Fast Casual Awards, and I closed the deal with a tech partner that we're signing up with. Nice. I'm excited about. Which, what is it? Restaurant 365. Okay. I'm very excited about that. I think they've got a great solution. I really like where the company's going. Interesting. Uh, so anything in terms of uh, this 
this university, right? The badge system yeah. that we haven't talked about that you need to bring to the conversation. Um, I mean, really, that's just very well integrated. We built integrations between our LMS, between our scheduling system, our POS for clocking in and clocking out. So there's not a lot of, I mean, we've automated a ton of this at this point. The waiting list to sign up for it, the queuing system that slots people in for training. Um, it's just it's just really well defined at this point. We had the opportunity in COVID. I want to go deeper. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, I want to. I want to come back and like do screen capture and like have you like show us like yeah, show you whatever. Uh, that'd, you want, be, that'd be so cool. That's cool. Um, I mean, COVID really made us version to our entire concept. So like yeah. going into COVID, we had fifty percent app sales. We had an app. Um, we knew what we were doing. Luckily, with COVID, uh, so a lot of my family's in the medical industry, and a lot of them live across the, across the world. So they were already sending me stuff of like, this is what restaurants are doing in China. Now it's in Asia, whatever. So we released a three-step plan of how to deal with COVID. And we actually closed our dining rooms before it was mandated, Wow, which was cool. And then once it was mandated, we were already open. We're super front leading. You know, this was at a time when we were making posts about like, this is our three-phase plan of of what we're going to do with COVID. And we'd get a bunch of laugh reacts, you know? And then after everything was shut down, like our posts would go viral and... The way we were doing it, how we were doing it, I mean, our our local health department was like in a news interview was like, just watch watch what Balance is doing. Watch yeah. Balance's Facebook posts. They're super detailed. They tell you exactly what you need to do. Everything from hand washing to group scheduling for, you know, potential, uh, you know, spread, communal spread, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, we had our dining room shut down. We then turned off our phones, went 100% out. And then uh, we were that way for like 12 months. So you turned off your phones? Yeah. Our so volume like, was oh, massive. Like ordering on, through the phone. Through the yeah. app was the only way to order uh, at our concept. So, and we did numbers we had never done before. So as a digital, what was your, you were an engineer, right? Uh, uh, your software developer. Software yeah. developer. Mm-hmm. And so as a software developer, um, somebody who's close to technology, who probably geeks out on technology, you probably love this idea of, of the, the best of class, the app game, right? Where you go and you get to like see what's out there and see what works best for your concept and like duct tape these things together. I noticed you're using Revel, which is an open source platform, right? It, um, uh, it integrates with Restaurant 365. So I guess what I'm curious about now is like what is your tech, your tech stack today and how did you, how'd you do come to, the, to where you are today? Yeah, uh, so our tech stack is very much based around our profit and loss statement, all about having best of class technology. Um, and it really starts above the POS, going omni channel. Revel is great. Candidly, we are looking at changing our POS system to something I'm evaluating right now. Um, Q and Toast are both a little bit more advanced for So Q is one POS. I know, I've heard of Toast. Q hasn't come up yet. Q is a uh, fast casual only POS system, uh, enterprise only, typically only takes on 25 units and up. So, they're, 25 units and up? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. They're, so, uh, you guys are looking to scale pretty fast pretty soon. We are. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Well, so, reevaluating our tech stack, I think, was necessary. We've, we've added to it, iterated to it. Revel's been great, man. Um, I mean, the fact that they were one of the first cloud based POS systems that was. Open API is excellent, but yeah. in 2023, you need bi-directional APIs. Uh, you need fully synchronous integrations. Yeah. And what Revel has is not that. They feed information out. They don't allow other people to write in. So you don't have a single source of truth. 
which is ultimately what you need for so you need like two way two way street. That's correct. Yeah, um, I mean, so Q is a POS company. Toast is a POS company. Why are you in between? Like, what are the what are the the strengths of Q versus Toast? I'm curious. There. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm still trying to negotiate these deals, but I'll be this will be live in a couple you. months. So, oh really? Okay, cool. Time. Well, <laughs> by then we'll have made our decision, but. Um, ultimately, payment processors, the reason that Revel, in my opinion, has slowed down and is not really a market leader anymore is because they were acquired by a credit card processing company, and that's their sole focus, and they've shifted all their resources so is it closed? primarily to sales. They are not closed, but okay. they're owned by a credit card processing company. And so when, when I say closed, if you're new to the industry and you're like, what does closed mean? Or like, if you're looking to build, like, if you haven't gotten to this point yet. So with the POS, you have open or closed. Closed means that there's toast is closed. If you buy Toast, you have one option for credit card processor, yes. and that's actually their model. Is That's how they make money through the credit card processing. Um, there's other platforms out there that are open, like Rebel is, and um, it lets you choose your processor. So you, yeah. can, you can negotiate different uh, vendors for different rates, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else I'm missing? There are some advantages to going with the closed system, specifically in today's economy where a lot of your payments are digital and card not present so you have uh there's a function called tokenized payments and tokenized payments are great like right now when people order off of the app which is still between depending on the store depending on how long it's been open 60 to 80 percent of our revenue that's a separate merchant processing account it's a different mid than what's the stores are running off of now we have them both running to the same processor but they're different accounts and what that means is if i need to modify a ticket from my POS for an app-based order, I cannot do it in the store because that came through injected again because it's a one-way integration. So orders come in from the app. They are injected into Revel. They don't go back. Got it. You can't modify something you know, from the POS and have it be synchronized back to the app. Got it. So where does that cause issues for you? I mean, synchronous API integrations are just what I believe the the future to be. I mean, some of the real-world examples are one way I just highlighted, which requires two pieces of technology. It requires a bi-directional API integration. It requires tokenized payments. So if I am a consumer, I use the app. It goes into Revel, right, one way. Um, give me an example of where you'd have Super to Super basic. Like you, you come in, you're like, hey, I wanted to add a T. I couldn't find it on the app. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can do that for so, you. Great. Do I need to swipe again? No. Like I just added it to your but open But you do ticket. because it's closed. So like yeah. they'd have to tra- – so if it was open, you could it, – it would just If it was tokenized. Seamless. If got the it. payment tokenized. was tokenized, got I could modify anything in there. Or let's just say, you know, forbid, but don't know, we've forgotten item. Call us up and it's like it's an app order. Yeah. It's like, cool, I'll just give you credit. You know, I'll take the, take the money off or whatever it is. Um, you know, you can't do that in the store. It's, it's not empowering for in-store teams right. to use the technology. It's like the technology exists up here. It's pulled on strings by like an administrative group of people, and it just becomes a burden for people working in the store. And I'm trying right. to bring as much of the technology to the store. I'm trying to power the people. Man. What is the app that... What, what your app that you're using, is that proprietary? Is it, is it a, a plugin? Yeah. So Can we... Build we it? built out a lot of the front end for the app but the back end runs on a, on a common platform called loyalty plant okay uh they're based out of russia okay uh, so yeah cool um 
what other tech? So you have Restaurant 365. That is a That's w- what we're transitioning to now. So we started with what is the tech stack now? Where we're going is going to be something different. Than, All right. So um, what will restaurant... process of turning that right Got now. it. So Restaurant 365 is an enterprise solution. It has a lot of solutions. General yes. ledger, inventory, scheduling. Yeah, we're doing their accounting and their operations system. So you're only because using those two elements? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, and why, why choose to... S- to not use their full suite of tools, but only parts of it. They're not as well built out. And what are the 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 elements that you prefer to out to, to keep separate? Or I guess right now it's scheduling. So like scheduling. a part of this is also incremental and evaluating your tech partners based on where they are going as a platform and how well funded they are. Got it. Um, so our current tech stack is Revel. Like I said, not omni-channel integration. When we do. Uh, a new partner, we want the omni-channel there because what is a POS provider? Like people think it's like a software that's going to run your business. That's not true. That's your back office software. What a POS system is, is a transaction platform. And if you're doing transactions in a bunch of different places, DoorDash, Olo, whatever it is, and then it's being fed, injected one way into your POS, you, you are creating a mess, a, a web mess of how to manage orders practically at the in-store level. Got it. Um, but we have that right now. I mean, we, we use an order aggregator for Marketplace. We have uh, the app. It all feeds into the POS. The POS then spits out data that we use. So one software system we use is called Seven Shifts. does all of our labor stuff. And then the other side we use right now is called MarketMan, which is an inventory software. It's uh, accounting system agnostic. However, having everything feed into one accounting and uh, food cost system is critically important as we're growing. So that's why you see restaurant 365 because that's what you that's what they're Yeah, that's why I'm using those two things. Plus they just raised 150 mil and yeah. they're going to so blow out their yeah. scheduling side of their business mm-hmm. to create a true solution. Seven shifts is light years ahead of where they're at right now, but 150 mil is going to put them pretty close. Exactly. Um, so the cool thing about Restaurant 365 is you don't need to turn on all the features, and you don't you're not paying for all the features. You get the as you as you turn on features, your your rate goes up, right? But you it can does. but you don't have to use every element of it, and it still integrates with other platforms like they do. They still shifts. integrate with Seven Shifts, and they integrate with all the POS systems yeah. that we're looking at and evaluating right now. Are you so. aware of a tech stack that is soups to nuts everything from POS? general ledger scheduling inventory not accounting no not not accounting and and everything else but you can get pretty much everything else in one system if you're happy with the result yeah it really comes down to there's tons of niche companies out there that all have niche solutions and small differentiators and the question is how important is that for your concept there is one company I know of, and that's a key di- differentiator right there. Is there is no one size fits all. Yeah, and that's one thing I've learned. It's one thing I was after to f- try to figure out. Is like, what is the best way to do something? And I, I'm feeling really confident about this next statement. There is no best way. Yeah, definitely. There, there is no best way because because what works for one restaurant won't work for another restaurant because there are no two restaurants that are exactly the same. One hundred percent. And what works for your restaurant today is not going to be what works for your restaurant three years from now. Exactly. So my decisions I'm making right now around tech are way less yeah. about what we're doing today and way more about what I anticipate we'll be doing three years from now. There is one platform I'm aware of that is POS, inventory management, labor management, general ledger, everything, and, I, and I'm what pretty sure. 
they, they announced this at the show. So it's new information. And for those listening to this, we were at the show. The show is literally happening right now. Today's it the is. last day at the show. So this is fresh news. It's Restaurant Systems Pro. Um, okay. And they're also a sponsor. So I feel like I need to give them nice. a love. Okay, cool. Um, but I will say this at the same time. Um, they, If you're somebody like me, I'm not like you. Like you clearly are like passionate about technology. <laughs> you, you're, you're like... I feel like you were put on this earth to be good at that kind of stuff. Like you're an integrator. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, like there's people and owners who have different strengths. I hate that. I hate the technology side of things. Yeah. Like I get that it's important. I recognize the significance, but I'm, I do not integrate well with technology personally. Mm-hmm. You know? So somebody like me who just wants a solution and wants to go to one company and have all that taken care of and have it like all integrate. And it goes like, I'm pretty sure it's open. Like you were saying it goes, it flows both ways because it's all on one platform. It's yeah. all under one roof. Um, Restaurant Systems Pro, I think, is for, for people like me who just want to get the solutions. Like, a system is better than no system. Yes. You know, and, and you can have a one-stop shop solution or best in class. And, like, for somebody who's super creative like you are and, like, you're pushing the envelope with, like, you're, like, you're, like you know, like, your restaurant's not standard. It's not normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, <laughs> you're trying to create things as you go. I think the, the, the best in class because you can you can yeah. cherry pick what makes sense for you and your your unique model, right? Correct. And my it's really about my off, yeah, like, you're 100. Okay. percent And it comes down to like what is the guest experience you want to create, and what's the employee experience you want to create? What's the leadership experience you want to create? Um, you know, right now after we get out of the POS current tech stack, it flows over to scheduling and it flows over to inventory. So that we have a software system that's attached to a line item on our PL. How do we control labor costs? It's simple, it's the software solution. How do we control food cost? It's this software solution. Where do we go to see our sales? It's this software. How do we feed the sales? It's the marketing software ahead of the POS. That's the stack. And what I'm trying to do is dial in and turn it 90 degrees and have one marketing system in the front that flows transactions into a transaction processing system that is two-way integrated with both systems and can empower in-store staff as much as possible. And there's a whole list of features that will do that. And then spits the data out the back end so that we can manage the business and turn revenue into profit. And I have a good amount of faith R365 is going to do the back office solution. It is figuring out the POS and front-end marketing solution all in that we want to do or how much of it essentially we want to create ourselves. Yeah. Check out Bicky. That might be a good Bicky's mo- dope. Have you, uh, mm-hmm. Is that something you're, is that on the radar? It's is on a, the radar. Okay. For sure. Um, I know they're doing some cool stuff. Um, you, you were telling us about your core values. I don't think they all came out. Uh, inclusivity, transparency, badge. No, badge, badge is definitely not one of them. Another one is a data driven decisions. So we, a big, a big thing for us is, we don't try and make any decisions based on emotion. They all have to have a KPI that we're tracking and valid data to make it. And that also means that anytime we're considering a change, we do hypothesis testing and follow the scientific method. All right. So inclusivity, transparency, data-driven decisions. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Three Those are the primary values? three. I love it. Um, I love that. Uh, we already talked about the importance of data and the tools you're using to do that. So I don't think we need to resurface any more of that. But what I am curious about is the vision for the future. 
um, and what you're doing now to build a house before you move into it. And I think what's happening across the, str- the hall here so yeah. is a big part of that. We haven't really talked a lot about the microgreens and mm-hmm. the economies of that. I'm curious. Is are, is that making you more profitable? Like what? what just, or I'm just going to shut up. Tell me why you're doing this. Why we're doing it is to prove out that a local food system can exist. It's not end-to-end or every SKU item that we grow that we use in the stores. But we use about half a dozen of the products, the, the produce items that we use in our restaurants are grown right here yeah. and self-distributed to ourselves. And it just helps to bridge the transparency of what it is that you're eating and where your food comes from. I think our restaurants do that very effectively from showing the fresh produce that we have. Some of our, our other restaurants later build than this. This one has a bit of an open uh, fridge, but some of the other ones have like complete glass into the fridge where you see the raw ingredients, you order by where the prep is, you see your food being cooked, you see it being assembled, you see it being served. There is no process that is hidden from you. But what about where your food is grown and where it comes from sourced? Yeah. Right? So, And this is a, you know, like lowering our carbon footprint is a big yep. topic right now and you like literally the food is for this location there is no carbon footprint you're, you're just walking it across yeah at this location yes there's none yeah. uh, but, but there is minimal carbon footprint but it brings value that philosophy brings value to the entire food ecosystem of the community there are 30 plus restaurants in Toledo that use our products on their menu. Wow. We're in Whole Foods and other grocery stores, local ones like Walt Churchill's. So when so people go shop for their produce, they see our brand name. That's cool. Right. So you're not just supplying your restaurants. You're no. also supplying the community. That's correct. That's huge. Yeah. Now, what are the economics of this? Like, did it Was it profitable out of the gates? Because this, this seems like a big, expensive yeah, ordeal. Yeah. I mean, COVID did not help in those areas. We talked about a lot of great places COVID helped. It caused us to rebuild every piece of our restaurant concept and what made us who we are. We rebuilt it from the ground up because CJ worked at one store. I worked at the other. We redid every one of our processes. We redid our, our tech stack. We did our LMS system over again. We redid all of our branding. Um, And there's a lot of great things that came out of COVID. Our stores are significantly higher volume than they were pre-COVID and they're they're more profitable, which is great. So the volume but, isn't just the foot traffic, it's all the channel, it's the omni-channel order. Yeah, exactly. But then the farm really sucked. So we built that out in 2019, the end of 2019. Like we were done in November of 19 when we first started planting. And we use a grow system there called aquaponics. And what that means is we produce our own nutrient source to feed the hydroponic system. And it's done in a closed loop so that the plants filter the water for the fish and the fish provide the nutrients for the plants. Beautiful system. Takes time to ratchet up. You can't just add a bunch of fish and create a bunch of waste without a filtration system to handle it. So you have to ratchet it up one step at a time. You got to add more plants. You got to add more fish, whatever. So by the time we actually got into uh, like COVID, um, we had not grown enough in the system and there wasn't enough time between November and March to get our inspection. And we have to be a USDA certified facility to flow into sophisticated supply chains like grocery stores and food distributors like Cisco and stuff. Um, they, they won't buy from you if you're not USDA certified. So uh, we couldn't get USDA certified until January of 2022. Oh. And so that entire that time... Was that just 
was that just like the the government not having the bandwidth to give you your certification? Yeah, dude. I mean, we had to fly, pay to fly somebody up here from from Houston. Wow. Yeah, to come out and do the inspection. Plus, it's really niche project. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of indoor grows that are USDA certified. There's not a lot of aquaponic systems that are USDA certified. Um, like we're only number three and five, respectively. Right. Um, so but yeah, I mean, we had to get certified. I see shit like this, and I think to myself, why are people going hungry? You know what I mean? Like We have so much food waste. I mean, it's in this country, it's unbelievable the amount of food waste. And going back to what I was talking about earlier, just like that respect for in India and in Korea, how is food transported? Like you're going to go down to the corner and you're going to buy something from an open air market or bazaar and you're going to talk primarily the grower of it and you're going to buy whatever's seasonal, whatever's available and you're going to make something out of it. There's also, there's something to be said about Southeast Asia and the fact that the growing seasons are around. That is true. You know, like but we in this country, few, though, we like we Florida, are so California. used to. When I, when I talk to like family members who come to the U.S. from outside, the first thing they mention to me is the proliferation of fast food and the fact you can walk into a grocery store and it doesn't matter what time of the year it is, you will have the same product. I think that's an issue. I think that I, I, I think it's, we're so. What are you gonna say? I I think that's an unrealistic set of demands that creates Thank a you. wave. Of problems, primarily can be measured by food miles. Dude, I, I I say this a lot. I think the issue is with the consumer. When there's a lot broken with our industry, I think the issue stems with the consumer, and we have, for the most part, been a reactive to we we're a reactive industry to the consumer. Yeah. You know, we we blindly just kind of like the 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 code has always been what give the give the customer what the customer wants, but what the customer wants is unreasonable. Or you can change the way that you approach it, which is kind of diving back into why we do the farm, right? It's because the customer is going to want their menu item year-round yes. to be consistently the same. Yeah. The advantage of bringing the grow indoors, using a closed-loop system, all LED, is we can grow the same products year-round, 365 days a year, essentially at the same cost. Right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm right there with this, with this idea that like just... If you're born today, if you're alive today, grocery stores are all you've ever known. The the central food system is all you've ever known. Like, yeah. so it's all we know, and it's just. But we don't. I just don't think we realize how privileged we are to be able to get bananas any time of the year. Or yeah, pineapples. You know, like that's not good. Yeah, it's it was not, like less than a hundred years ago, people would travel, and a gift you'd get is a fresh piece of produce right. from where they traveled from that you can't exactly. Get. Yeah, and I think that hey, if you want pineapple and bananas, you can get them. But I think the tax on those things should be ridiculous. And I think that money should go back to the community from where it's being grown. Yeah. Fair. Um, I mean, if, you want, if you're a privileged person and you can get that stuff, you can get it. But you're, that money is going to be going back to the community to where it's being grown. Or send the people to that community if you want it. And have like a, a hospitality-driven economy. You know? Um, I don't know. These are ideas I like to play with. It's yeah. a little... It's a little distant from what we're here to talk about I today think, i think we're going to see dynamic pricing for stuff like that pretty soon right and covid definitely brought that up it broke supply chains at right. grocery stores across the country it broke restaurant supply chains and simple things like this like the way that we approach our employment model we didn't have any turnover issues when everybody else did it i mean great at first you, you hear that sorry go ahead we don't we didn't have as many supply chain issues because we are so vertically integrated right. for being a restaurant group we have our own warehouse and purchasing division yeah. essentially in our own farm to produce stuff. But and I think by, by making things like from places where you don't live available, it's going to force you to turn around and support your economy. 
you're going to get things locally because yeah. it's going to be so much more affordable. For sure. Right? So now and local, it's more sustainable. Exactly. And, and it's going to encourage people to do more of what you're doing, which is to, to leverage the technology we have at our disposal today to make food locally, mm-hmm. to, to move the food closer to the people. Uh, and this is a big thing I want to talk about today because, I mean, how do we recreate what you're doing? Like, what are the lessons you learned to, like, if we want to grow our own food like you are, like, what, like, this, I feel like this is a whole other podcast. Yeah. And we could do another podcast. We'll right? just do it across the hallway. Hey, I drive across the country <laughs> a lot, man. You're a stop along the way. So for sure, we can do a follow up for sure. Maybe five years. We'll see when you're at 30 locations across the country Yeah, or more. Who knows? Hopefully. What is the future for you guys? What is your, your uh, projected growth? I mean, we want to grow out another 50 locations in the next five years. 50 locations. So I was wrong. I was off by 20 locations. Yeah, that's a goal, though. I mean, if we get to 30, I'll still be happy. So what's the key to growing so fast? And Like, what are you doing to prepare for that growth? Um, proper systems. I mean, the last several years, plus the, the entire COVID shutdown and rebuild of the systems has led to amazing business practices and systems that support those business practices and so that's really geared us up to uh be able to franchise which is awesome so we started franchising as a growth model post-covid um and that allows us to bring on really sophisticated franchisees like the guys that we're talking to and the guys that are signed up with us uh, are all multi-location multi-unit um, really successful in their own in their own right, and they know their market super well, and there's specific markets that we want to go to, and so it's really symbiotic, mm. um, and we kind of plug our concept into their existing enterprise. Yeah, where are you with robotics? I'm looking to some of your colleagues in the space, like um, Sweet Green, Tender Green, mm-hmm. what they're doing with like induction robotics and stuff like this. Are you guys looking into that vertical at all? Open to robotics. Um, I'm watching it. There's a lot actually happening in Ohio uh, with Miso Robotics is based here in Columbus, and they're working with Chipotle. They're working with Flippy. White Castle. Yeah, Flippy, Flippy and Chippy, I think, actually. If, if you're Flippy and Chippy. Yep. So if you're with Chipotle, it's Chippy. Yeah. They're just doing the, the chips right Just now. the chips. Right. Yeah, and I think Chipotle's approach is pretty smart. I mean, it's they're taking a product that, I mean, we've all been to Chipotle. I go to Chipotle a lot, but their chips suck, uh, and they suck on a very frequent basis. And so ultimately what people want is uh, consistency, consistency, right? And not shitty chips. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Chipotle can do that. With and a robot's robot, great with that. Yeah. Better than they can do with, with a person. Right. Um, I think for jobs that are, uh, like, not not as safe as they could be if they were done with a robot, um, or things that require just a, a massive amount of consistency, like we talked about. I think those are great, but they're also batch processes. Making things to order with a robot, I think we're still pretty far away from that. Um, also, I don't know if people really want their food handled by robots all the time. There is an artisanal approach to serving food. There's art in food. And I think uh, people AI lose coming that. around the corner when AI, yeah, AI combines dope. with robot. I don't know. It's weird, man. We live in a an, an exponentially transforming period where yeah. like it's like what we what's possible in five years isn't even fathomable. Well, I can tell you what is going to happen in the next five years that is really going to transform the industry is not robotics and it's not AI. What is it going to be? It's augmented reality. Ooh. The that is going to be the foundational change. I think that is going to be like take all this technology that we're putting in and and provide it to staff on site immediately 
Like imagine a POS system that's listening to you. You look at a person, recognizes who you're talking to. You can have a completely technology-less, quote-unquote, you know, conversation with somebody. And the POS is providing to your employee the running total of what it is that they're ordering, right? Or in the kitchen. I just want to make sure I understand. So you're talking about artificial, um, sorry. Augmented reality. Augmented reality. Yeah. So that's basically like computer assistance through wearables yeah okay so give me an example of augmented reality that you're talking to so like are we talking like a, a, like glasses like goggles yeah. or like glasses like not not really a goggle as much i think watch gets there but ultimately it's going to be when ar enters uh you know the, the visual that's when it's going to so change w- essentially there's going to be like a heads-up display of like a virtual world yeah. that's overlaid the physical world yeah but it's it's not it's a little more minority report and a little less you know, full on, uh, artificial reality. Okay. So you're saying as people are placing orders, there's going to be an art, uh, uh, another reality running in the background overlaid the physical reality. Yeah. That's basically, but it's, using- a, it's assistive, right? So like imagine a kitchen display screen that they don't have to look at an iPad or whatever, you know, and it's just on their glasses yeah. or they're being trained and they reach into the wrong well. And it's like, nope, wrong one. Just, so you're going Highlights to like a, in red. As your hand's going to the wrong thing, it's going to be like... Rah, rah, yeah. rah, rah, rah. It's training in fluid, right? Like less training videos, much more on-site training with the, with a guide, like an assistant, essentially. Coming so it's like having your, your own manager hanging over your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, back to a manager. Big I don't know bro- a guide, man. Guide? A guide. It's I think like it's big brother. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> guided, though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's assistive. It's really what it is. It's yeah. less of telling them what to do and more guiding them to do the best they can. How far away are we from that? Like five to seven years. Who's doing it right now? Who's 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 the closest to making it happen? Well, that's what you see all these headsets. I mean, Apple's going to release a headset yeah. this year. It's going to be not what I'm talking about, but they still have their glasses project in in the loop. Google's been working on Google Glass for a number of years, and they they will crack it. Do you think with trying to move into the future leveraging technology the what's the human variable do you think we're going to i think we forget that technology is exponential but human evolution is linear mm-hmm. it's slightly exponential but it's more linear than te- technological evolution do you think that humans are going to bottleneck this technological advancement well you're zeroing in on exactly what i'm talking about which is where do those two lines intersect and collide and where does the technology accelerate faster than what the human's capable of doing that's where yeah. that's why augmented reality is ultimately what's going to allow us to track in line with that exponential growth i'm because, loving this conversation yeah man. uh is there i mean we could probably continue to go i gotta respect your time we're, we're approaching our two-hour mark anything that did not come out of today's conversation that you you want to make sure it comes out. Now's the time to get it out. Oh man, um, no, this was a great combo. I mean, we really talked about where we were, where we're going now. Um, I guess you know what I'd say is I, I still come to work every day and I love it. Nice. And there's always a new challenge. I'm super blessed. I go to work every day and serve a, a help serve a, a product. I genuinely believe is good for the community and good for every community that we're in. Uh, I do go show up to work every day with my business partner. who's my best friend and I get to pretty much do whatever I want. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it really is a blessing. Um, it's been quite a journey every year 
of our journey could probably be a podcast. To be honest with you. Well, I'd love to come um, back and continue the conversation. We in will, the future, man, for uh, sure, because you know your shit. So you're definitely repeat guest quality here. And uh, we're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We are back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Persistence. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, trouble finding the most simple solution. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? With an employee or with a vendor? Or with uh, a employee. Total cultural alignment. That's all I really care about. What is your biggest challenge today? Time. How are you overcoming it? Mentorship and reading books. We have a question for books later. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. A way to be, a way to act. Core value. Um, respect. I think that's really what it comes down to. What is one... Actually, sorry. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond guest expectation. Once a customer spends money... That dollar number no longer matters. The amount of products that they're given no longer matters. Ultimately, it's just the experience. Got it. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? Dare to Serve. Who's the author of that? I am not a name person. It was tough enough for me to remember that name. Dare uh, to Serve? Dare to oh, Serve. Dare to Serve. Yeah, that was a great book. Danny Meyer's books are great, too, if you're into the restaurant industry. I'm looking up Dare to Serve right now. Dare to Serve, browse, blah, 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 blah. Give me the name. Give me the name. Cheryl Bachelor. Yes. Yep. That's it. Dare to Serve. First time mentioned on the show. I can't wait to check that one out. What was your biggest lesson from that book? Um, 
kind of what we were talking about earlier, just going above and beyond customer expectations at any cost, because ultimately the, the lifetime value of that customer is, is where the relationship is, and that's what generates value for your business and your brand. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Take care of their employees. Too focused on the customer at the expense of their employees. Right. What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted? We kind of unpackaged technology a lot, but do you want to echo any uh, technologies that you're really uh, just happy with? Technology that I'm happy with right now? I don't know. I'm never happy with technology. <laughs> it's always got to be better. I'm happy with what I have. It could Neither am I. Be I hate it all, man. Get out of yeah. my way. Although it's always it changing. Let me do this. Um, we'll just echo one that you're excited about. Um, on the very back end of things, we recently started using a project management software that has made iterative change and the management of change uh, a lot better. We use Asana. Okay. It's a great piece of software. It really yes. helps to keep us on track, our entire administrative team. It's great. Beautiful. Uh, and this is the last question, man. We made it to the very end. It's a doozy, so get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? And you didn't roll your eyes once, which is, I get so many <laughs> eye rolls from this conversation. Like, Jesus, man. Uh, but what is Yeah, it? this is a serious, it's, it's deep. A deep question. I think, number one, uh, don't get stuck in the rat race. One. Yeah, number don't one, don't, don't get stuck in the rat race. Don't be so focused on, on money. Money is, it comes and goes it's like water. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. Number two, it's about the relationships and the connections that you make. It's about that journey, the process, like what we've been talking about in this entire process. These are the things I hold valuable. Um, and third, uh, it's, it's, it's that mutual respect. It's giving others respect of the way that they present themselves and meeting people with where they are. Mm. And showing up in that way, of just it. investing in them. I love it, man. This has been a lot of fun, PK. Thank you so much for taking the time for sure uh, to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. This is when we have you uh, call somebody out. Who do you respect? Who are you, who are you paying attention to in the industry now? People that just you know inspire you to be better and and have knowledge you know would be beneficial to our listeners. I mean, Danny Meyer is amazing. Uh, I definitely enjoy following his career. Um, also, like, uh, I like the brand Sweet Green. I think they're doing a lot really well. I'm going to be talking to the CEO of Union Square Hospitality, hopefully in the next couple months. Danny is a hard one to, to, to crack, but we're after him. And I've had the team uh, of Sweet Greens on there. Is it Sweet Greens or Tender Greens? I always confuse the two. Tender Greens is owned by Unisquare Hospitality now, right? It is. So yeah. sweet greens. You want to get the sweet greens. Yeah, sweet sweet greens, greens legit. I don't think I've had them on yet. Um, all right. I think that's where we say. Oh, wait. I almost forgot to say. Um, what if we're just inspired by what you're doing here? And uh, we want to maybe reach out, come work for you. Learn <laughs> from you. What's the yeah. best way? Hit our website, balancegrill.com. Uh, check every single one of those. Or hit us on uh, social media at Balance Grill. And that's grill with an E at the end. Grill with an E. Uh, all right. Now is when I say thank you so much, PK. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. Cheers. Thank you. 
there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Prakash, for coming on and getting super detailed and liberal with what you guys are doing on your tech stack there in the back end, how you guys are setting that up. Uh, definitely want to pull some layers back in the network on those technologies. And this episode, we got a really great tour. So if you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable podcast, I think, or just search that and um, you'll find the, 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 the channel and subscribe. And we're going to be doing, we got an entire tour of their hydroponics system. It's amazing what they're doing here. It's literally right next to their restaurant. And I think this is the future of people moving the, the, the farm next to the restaurant, reducing the carbon footprint. And uh, sharing this knowledge is how we're going to get there. So, uh, again, just special thanks to Prakash for being so liberal and so generous with the information. Uh, some great content around this. Again, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. We are unpackaging so much of what we're learning on the show in the network. And we're really going to be focusing on the stuff that we're the foundational stuff to begin. Like, if you're listening to this, a lot of my listeners need to really get to crack in the, at the foundational stuff, uh, systems for building habit in their life, systems for building systems and communication in their business, uh, systems for cash flow allocation. You can never expect to be amazing until you get the, the basics down. And that's kind of what we're focusing on out of the gates with Restaurant Unstoppable Network. But as we go into the future, as these tools and services, uh, like, like what Prakash recommended today, are coming on our radar, we're going to be reaching out to these tools. We're going to be going deeper. We're going to be pulling back layers. So it's not just the foundational stuff. It's also the next level stuff. And we're going to be trickling that in as we go. And the best way to support this podcast is to, to go get a subscription to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com so you can meet the people we're getting on the show, so you can read the books and connect with other people who are going through this content. It's the future of Restaurant Stoppable. We want you to be with it. Uh, be a part of it I should say and uh, I cannot say goodbye until I say thank you to the people who make this possible people who are helping me out over here behind the scenes thank you to Jared Parisi with Sumadre Podcast for his editing and copyright thank you to Anna Tazen with the good kind consulting for your executive counsel and support and thank you to Callan Miola for helping me out with the network being the community manager we're off to an amazing future we want you to come with us that's it for today until next time peace Peace out.